was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. Today, I am honored to welcome artist and illustrator Hilary Knight to the podcast. In addition to working on the legendary Eloise books with Kay Thompson, Mr. Knight worked as a set designer at the Ogunquit Playhouse under the direction of George Abbott, created illustrations for over 50 books and wrote nine of them, and created the logos for such shows as No No Nanette, Half a Sixpence, Hallelujah Baby, Irene, Sugar Babies, I Love My Wife, Angela Lansbury's Gypsy, and more, and is currently working on his memoir, Hillary Knight, Drawn from Life. So, without further ado, the amazing Hillary Knight. What do you have to say? So, I, if I can start by asking you, how did you first become interested in designing and in art? Well, I could, yeah, it's very easy. You know, I attribute everything, everything in my life to my mother and father, mostly... Um my mother, because they were in a period, we're talking about, I was born in 27, and it was a period that was wildly active in design and commercial design at that time. Uh, Illustrators, which is what both of them were, were very important in that period. They were everywhere. You know, um, American ones were inspired by European. Um, There were fantastic magazines and published in France, all to do with illustration. Um, It was a very important thing. That is something that bothers me today is that it's something that has seemed less important to people. And it's all going to change because of of some very important things. George Lucas, who everybody knows about George Lucas because of Star Wars. Star, he also is always been interested in illustration. Um, particularly things like um, Norman Rockwell. He started, because he's able to buy anything, you know, Star Wars is extraordinarily uh, worldwide famous. It's a gigantic um, industry. You know, if you, there are endless movies and they're not going to stop. So he has decided to build a museum. This has gone on for quite a while. It is called the Lucas Narrative Museum. And it's been, it started in San Francisco and it never quite happened. And he married a woman who was from Chicago and she encouraged him to do more and more, and they wanted to build it in Chicago. There were all kinds of problems about um, where it could be. It was obviously going to be a big, important thing. Um, There were lots of restrictions um, for many ridiculous reasons. I won't even go into that. It is finally taking place. It's happening here in California in what is called the Industrial Park, which is a huge uh, development that was done. I don't, don't hold me to this. I don't, I'm not sure about the dates. Industrial Park was something in, in the LA 
area that had to do with industry. It was like a World's Fair ground. It was about industry. And it had all these extraordinary things. Over the years, they put in museums, the Natural History Museum, the um, um, Black Museum, um, and he is now building what is essentially a spaceship. It's gigantic. And it's in an area that is more... Uh, has more recently become both black and Latin. Um, uh, so it is a hub of his his real interest is creating something that will be for everyone. Yeah. So what is now considered illustration takes in a lot of things, um, movies and posters, and yeah. that is the concentration of what this museum will be. Yeah. Um, they, uh, when I had a sale in New York City two years ago at Bonham's, the auction house oh. on, um, um, in New York City, uh, off 57th Street, I had a big sale, and um, the curator for this museum bought a portrait of Eloise, which I considered not as important, because the, he also bought three complete books. I'm talking about everything, three children's books of mine that had all of the sketches, the finished art, all the notes, uh, photographs, everything that I had collected to to put into this book. They yeah. bought that. That was, to me, very important. The Eloise portrait is um, another thing that I'm thrilled by, you know? Yeah. It will introduce people who don't know anything about Eloise and I assume make them more interested. Yeah. At the same time, the Norman Rockwell Museum um, in, um, forgive me, I, this is, I meant to look this up to give you the exact address. It's a very important museum in Lucas, has now switched over and is working with this museum, oh. partly because Lucas bought a very famous Norman Rockwell painting for his museum. The Lucas Museum is now concentrating on what is essentially illustrators, uh, yeah. not fine art. Uh, they've got a lot of N.C. Wyeth uh, paintings, beautiful. I went there maybe 15 years ago. The museum now has expanded, and they're buying lots of other uh, people's art. Uh, it's not set at all a, a, a definite time, but they are going to do a show of me, and oh. I will. A lot of my work will be there. So I'm in, you know, I'm in now two very important museums that are devoted to the art of illustration. Yeah, which you know, does not include fine art. I argue that it's exactly the same thing, but fine artists would never agree with me, you know? <laughs> yes. Uh, people like Andy Warhol are considered, although Andy is, he's a contemporary of mine, and I knew him oh. uh, in the very beginning when we were both doing magazine and, and uh newspaper and he did his early life was all that kind of thing um uh newspaper and and uh, magazine illustration and real illustration anyway um i knew him in in the beginning when it, it was all started he took me 
he said, I want to show you something in my studio. And he took me up and pulled out this huge painting of a soup can. I was oh. astounded. But I thought, well, you know, it is, it has style. This, the, you know, and he yeah. appreciate that. But it was pure, the pure vision of a, a, a well constructed design, which the, the Campbell's soup can was. It was extraordinary, yeah. very simple. And he made, a, he has become what is now known as a fine artist. Um, yeah. I think it's true of a lot of people. Certainly, Norman Rockwell is a is a superb fine artist, but basically, he is an illustrator. Yeah. That's what my mother and father were. My yeah. father was fascinated by aviation. He was a pilot in World War One. My mother was in Chicago, came from Chicago, went to school, and the school traveled to Japan in 1917, where she studied art. She was a very young married woman at that point, but she had this whole background. Uh, um, I mean, to me, the thought of seeing Japan in 1917 must have been extraordinary. Yeah. You know? It was before commercialism had changed so much. Yeah. So that is what I I observed all this because I yeah. was a little boy growing up with a family, a mother and father that were both very successful artists. Yeah. Uh, I was really truly lucky in that way, and yeah. my mother um, worked directly in the house we lived in, which was in uh, Roslyn, Long Island. So I would watch her painting when I was a little tiny boy. Oh. And I thought, you know, this looks like fun. And that it's what I always wanted to do. Yeah. The other thing was that my mother took me to the theater when I was very young. My first show was at the Hippodrome, and it was Jumbo. Oh. It was an extraordinary show, Rogers and Hart musical. And uh, the Hippodrome was this incredible, huge theater on 6th Avenue. Um, long disappeared. It was torn down in the early 40s or late 30s. But we went to see Jumbo in 1935, oh. and it made an astounding impression on me to see this extraordinary thing as a little child. Uh, uh, I never quite got over that, um, 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 over my love of theater, and it remained, you know, it's, uh, uh, it took a long time before I started doing design, yeah. but I was lucky enough to, you know, through my parents, I got to know, uh, I got an interview with Joe Milziner, Joe uh -huh. Milziner being the top yeah. uh, theater designer, set designer in that period, which was, at that point, was uh, about 19... 44 that I saw him and he arranged for me to start he said what you if you want to do this and he warned me how hard it was oh. that it was not an easy job he said you must work in a summer stock go to a, get yourself involved in a summer stock company and he arranged for me to go, again, this is so extraordinary that this happened, oh, yeah. to go to Agonquit, Maine. And Agonquit, Maine had a famous summer theater yeah. run by a woman who, for whatever reason, wanted to rent it to George Abbott. George oh. Abbott 
took it over in 1947 as a training for his lady love, who was this beautiful woman um, whose name I'm, I suddenly cannot remember, a uh, beautiful brunette woman who he later married. And she, she became a famous television star along with uh, Maria Riva, the two of them were the, the early 50s stars. Anyway, I worked in Agunquit for a season. Um, I, it, I learned a lot, and yet I realized it was not for me, that it, yeah. was, it was physically too much work. Um, but I got to meet and see extraordinary people. Oh. When you're assistant, I was an assistant set designer, um, and you worked day and night. You had no time off, and that didn't bother me, but um, it, it, it made me realize that my calling was really to sit in a chair and do drawings. Oh, yeah. That's basically what it was. Uh, but through my, my, I met a lot of people in the theater that later became friends, like Hugh Martin. Oh. Hugh was, uh, had done, uh, the songwriter Hugh Martin. Yeah. He had done Best Forward, forward at that point, oh. and he was doing a production of it in a gunquet, a summer stock, also playing in Little Foxes playing the Dan Duryea part in The Little Foxes, which was starring Ruth Chatterton. All these names mean nothing to people today, but they were enormously famous at that moment. Okay. I learned a lot. I, I learned really what I was good at, which was sitting in a chair and doing drawings, all of which I learned from uh, being with, um, uh, watching my mother, observing and absorbing stuff. Yeah. Um, my, my most important thing that ever happened to me was going to school, going to the Art Students League in New York City with Reginald Marsh as a teacher. Again, Reginald was a... Um, at that point, very famous uh, painter, um, the Ashcan School, but he was a fantastic teacher. I learned everything, literally, about drawing from him. Yeah. I owe him everything. He was a fantastic uh, teacher, inspiration of how to make a figure move. So. Yeah. Eloise, almost everything I did from then on involved what he had taught me. I think if you want to be an artist to learn anatomy, to learn real drawing, which you you do from either life, if you're you know if you're not able to go to a school, you draw your little brother or your cat or dog and. That is, to me, the greatest training. That's what he, uh, the reason um, I kept going and, and was fascinated by everything. I also was lucky enough to have a mother and father who had collected extraordinary books from the 20s. Oh. Uh, and they were major inspirations. My mother, you know, there were extraordinary magazines at that point. Uh, she got Bonton from France, which had this uh, beautiful illustrations by French artists, very important in in that period of uh, you know design. Yeah. Uh, what is called today Art Deco all comes from that period. Oh yeah. So. 
I want to ask you next about, I believe you served in the army for two years, so I want to ask if your creative style was able to develop any in any way during that time, or what that experience? In, when I was in the service? Yes. I yes. did. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, in that period, I was not prepared in any way to face the world and to even be interested in a war. I, I, I knew there was a war coming on. I didn't really realize the impact of it. Yeah. I knew that I had to go in the service. Uh, because you were, you were. Uh, I was going to be drafted. I didn't want to be, because to me, logically, the most intelligent place to be, because of the uniform, was be in the navy. So I joined the navy, oh. and I went to Okinawa. I was. Um, uh, I again, I learned a lot. I learned how to take care of myself and to. Be obscure. I learned that very early because I looked very young. I looked much younger than I was. Um, it helped me um, in dealing with very complicated things with relationship to other people. Yeah. Um, I was more or less invisible, and I was living in my fantasy world. It was very important to me. I, I'm, I'm not proud of it, but I didn't know or really care what was going on in the world. I was yeah. interested in that point in what I wanted to do, which was to, to go to movies. You know, people like uh, that had become fascinating to me. The three people that I was intrigued by, all the exotics, all of them, was Carmen Miranda, because my mother had taken me in 1939 to see Streets of Paris, which was a, a review. Carmen Miranda was a gigantic star in 1939 in Brazil, and they brought her to New York. She was seven minutes on stage. Hugh Martin told me this. He was in the show as well. Seven minutes on stage, and she created this incredible sensation, yeah. and particularly to little Hillary, who was mesmerized by this extraordinary exotic woman yeah and in 37 preceding that my mother had taken me to see elephant boy and elephant oh. boy starred this actual indian boy named sabu oh. who was a, literally an elephant boy for the maharaja in india and it was a kind of semi-documentary yeah. and it it colored my life as well. Here was a little boy about my age um, who rode around an elephant with cracky nothing on and a turban. And I thought, um, you know, this is a not a bad life. You know? You're having your own elephant to take care of. I was not interested in ordinary life. I really wasn't. It yeah. didn't mean anything to me. And things like this, Abu and Carmen Miranda, and then Lena Horn. Lena was in a movie, and I was, I had seen it in at the Capitol Theater, her very beginnings in movies. And she fascinated me. When I did Eloise, then I got to meet her through Keitan. And they were very, very close friends and worked together. Um, she was not an inspiration, but I was fascinated by the exotic beauty, you know? Yeah. Um, we're not supposed to be ethnically... To me, it, it, there's nothing 
there's something wildly different about different people. And exoticism to me was uh, very important. It, yeah. it took me away from what I considered um, not interesting individuals that were too plain, oh. like myself, oh. you know? Yeah. Here were all these incredible people. So I got, I got to uh, not know them, but I, they were a big influence on me. An influence on when I did get into the theater, and it was all through a man named Harry Rigby, and I had met Harry. He was a producer just beginning, and he hired me to do Half a Sixpence, which was a Tommy Steele show. Yeah. It was the first first real poster I did. And then he became a, a, a major producer, and I did every, almost all his shows, and I got other theater jobs. Yeah. I was less interested in doing that. I liked doing it. It, it, was, it was never easy. Um, yeah. The theater, you know, there's a lot of people that have a lot to say about your work, um, yeah. which is, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I didn't, through Harry, because he was a friend, he prevented a lot of that from happening, you know, yeah. because he was the, the important producer. Yeah. Not so much so with Nona Nanette, his first big success, but for, after that, it was always, you know, we did Sugar Babies together, and I got to know all the people in it, and yeah. Um, uh, I had the privilege of being able to walk into a theater without paying and sit oh. in the back row and, and see a show as many times as Sugar Babies lasted for years, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, that, that was a, a big thing. And I did all kinds of other things on the side, magazines. And yeah. I was always interested in fashion. I still am. Oh. Uh, not so much fashion itself, but the creation of it. Yeah. Um, still going on. I mean, that even what's going on right now with the pandemic, uh, you you see on, on your computer the most incredible stuff that's being created. Oh, yeah. um, works of art, dresses that are nobody can afford, but they are incredibly beautiful to look at. Yeah. And were there any particular designers or outfits that inspired you? Would you think or? Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, I went, you know, I, my mother took me to select movies and I, and theater. Yeah. And one of the things that fascinated me early on, especially in theater, was the fact that color was so important. We're talking about sets and costumes, that they had a unity to them that I was not aware of uh, until I realized it was all very carefully thought out, each color on each costume. And so I became really aware and interested in the creation of that. Yeah. yeah. So I want to ask you next to go back just a little, um, how did you sort of begin to pursue designing and magazine work after you left the Ogunquit play Playhouse? Um, I came, when I came back, I started, uh, I had started making jewelry. Oh. And I kept on doing that costume jewelry. And I made it myself and sold it to little shops. Made a lot of money when I was a teenager on this thing. Um, I was also constantly looking at magazines, particularly British illustrators, uh, Ronald Searle, top 
while serving the top. Fascinated by his um, drawings for St. Trinian's evil little girls that, you know, he became famous for that. Yeah. Um, they are really the inspiration for for the image of Eloise. Uh, through a friend, I met Kay Thompson, and she had written, it's, I've gone through this so many times, uh, it's not very interesting to me anymore, but Kay was a, a, a multi-talented, brilliant woman yeah. who flitted from job to job. No, nothing ever really lasted longer than two years. She would get bored with it and move on to something else. Yeah. And she, uh, my very good friend who, who was a neighbor of mine, a woman named Dee Dee Ryan, Dee Dee Dixon then, she worked for Harper's Bazaar, and she lived in an apartment right next to mine in this funny little walk-up building. And um, we became real friends. She met Kay Thompson through the photographer Avedon, and Kay was doing, winding down a career in the theater, in nightclubs as, yeah. with an act, and she would talk in this funny little voice of a little girl that she had invented, and it was entirely her invention, this funny little six-year-old creature. And Dee Dee said, you know, this should be a book. Um, it took almost three years before it took place. She kept after Kay and said, you know, you've got, I, I have an illustrator for you, and that's how it happened. Uh, Dee Dee was very important in getting this together. Uh, so, you know, Eloise changed my life for yeah. for many different reasons. Yeah. One of them certainly being uh, an income that I had did not have. You know, yeah. I made we made a lot of money on it, and yeah. it still goes on. It's quite incredible that it exists today. Yeah, yeah, it does. So. I want to ask you what your collaboration with Kay Thompson in terms of writing would be like, as in, would you read it first and then choose what to illustrate, or would she ask for an illustration? No, we, worked, we literally worked in the same room. Oh. I worked at the plaza with her. I would go over every day. We would discuss things. This never happened in collaboration, almost never. I mean, yeah. it would happen in the theater where people would get together creating something, but not with a book. It was also an unusual book in that it was never uh, designed or planned as a child's book. Never. Uh -huh. She, to the day she died, she disagreed that it ever should have been a, considered a children's book. She said it is not a child's book. And it really was not. Um, it became that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God, you know, it would have died. It was a, a it was an unusual book that, that had this uh, hugely successful introduction in 55. And then because it was an adult book and it's in really a kind of novelty, um, it would have lost its time. What happened really was that Kay lost interest in it. I yeah. never did it. I wanted to keep it going. She did not want it. Oh. So, and yet it's kept going on its own. Yeah. And I, want, and I want to ask what you have thought of adaptations of it for either screen or stage. Or? Uh, it's not something, uh, um, it, it went into the property of um, her relative. She left no, no will, and oh. it went to, uh, the, the ownership was really entirely Kay, not, not me. I just, oh, I was, 
part of the, the deal in that I got a royalty for it. But I, I never was able to um, you know, own any of it. I had nothing to say about it. Yeah. So the, the estate now owns it. Uh, there is now a Disney movie plan oh. uh, by a very, very good writer who has done all the big Disney, recent Disney movies, right, a woman writer, and she is doing a treatment of Eloise. Oh. So I think, it, you know, that it will take a couple of years before it happens, but um, I think it will have a, a new life, you know. Yeah. She's a, an intelligent writer. Kate really lost interest in it. She didn't really want to continue with it. Yeah. So, and I do want to ask you about the um, last book of Eloise, which was published many years later. So was there a, was that originally going to be published at that time, or what had happened? I'm sorry, which one? Oh, um, Eloise Takes a Bath. Oh, well, that was, you know, Kay and I were, we, she moved to Rome, and she, uh, there was a, a complete lull in the production of Eloise. And yeah. she suddenly wrote me and she said, I want to do a new Eloise book and you're going to have to come to Rome to do it. <laughs> she said, I'm surrounded by fountains and I decided Eloise needs to take a bath. <laughs> and um, so we started, we worked on it for four years. I knew at this point it could never happen and it didn't happen. Uh, we did a treatment that really wasn't very good and she died and um i my agent and and uh decided to unearth it oh. and we using a lot of case original material she kept rewriting it and i did endless drawings <laughs> and i had um a, a tremendous amount of finished art for Eloise takes a bath, oh. but what you see in print now that I'm very proud of um, is a completely new treatment of what Kay originally planned. It was more like the very uh, first part of of the book. She just kept redoing it. You know, yeah. I, I thought not always to the best advantage. <laughs> So we, we went back to our, the original concept. That's what you see in print today. Yeah. So I do want to ask you how you developed this sort of iconic figure of Eloise at first and what your process was like. Um, it, it's based on a thousand different things. Uh, almost nothing to do with Kay. Um, oh. She had nothing to do with the real image of it or what she's wearing or the way she looks. That's entirely my work. Yeah. Uh, we, I, I had to work with her brief little words of what Eloise was like. You know, she would yeah. give me a sheet of, uh, I have a dog who looks like a cat, and I, you know, I wear a cabbage leaf on my head. And so it it started. That's the way it began, yeah. and then I um, I developed it from that. Uh, but many influence, many people that were influenced in the way she looks. Uh, again, lots of credit going to. British illustrators, pen and ink drawing from uh, Punch, and uh, uh, there was a little uh, uh, magazine in England called Lilliput, and that's where I first saw uh, Ronald Searle's drawings in Lilliput. Oh, yeah. so it had, you know, there were people that influenced me. My nieces, my brother uh, had uh, two. Three children, twin nieces, Kitty and Lily, and I live now in Lily's uh, own little uh, rental cottage in Altadena, California. 
for the past uh, year and a half. Yeah. Um, doing lots of work. I'm working all the time. You know. Oh, that's. Ninety four, and I, <laughs> I'm happy to say, I love working, uh, and I do. I think I draw better right now than I did. Um, 20 years ago, yeah. Um, so I never stopped working. Yeah, never ever. Yeah, you you are amazing. So, I want to ask you a, a sort of a technical question, which is, what sort of materials do you use when you're coming up with the idea for something? Do you like to use pen or paint or? Oh uh, well, you know, I I sketch a lot. And I make a lot of very rough little pencils on ordinary paper and develop it and draw it over and over again until I uh, know what I want. I've gotten so, I even when I make a grocery list, oh. so I'm, be, because you go to a, a hardware store and you ask for something and they don't know what you're talking it's better to do a little drawing of it, you know, a screw eye or, a, you know a certain kind of bolt and you can show it and that's um, that I'm very used to doing that yeah so I want to ask you about another one of the children's books that you illustrated which was Mrs. Piggle Wiggle so yeah yeah why why are you asking me oh well I I love that book series personally and of course your illustrations it's, you know, it's it's uh, people adore those books. Um, when you're an artist, I did them after the success of Eloise. I've never understood why they're so popular. I really, oh. honestly, don't know. I don't like them. I never oh. liked them, and um, they were originally. I had uh, uh, very ordinary illustrations when they were first published. And the publisher, Lippincott, went to Maurice Sendak and he redid one of them. Um, and his own drawings exist in many editions. And when it came time for, uh, she had written uh, three other books, um, they asked me to do the other ones. Why Maurice did not want to continue it, I really don't know. I think he, I, I won't say he didn't like them. For whatever reason, he did not continue it. He did not work for other people. He worked for uh, Harper and Rowe, as I did. We worked yeah. at, at the same time time we were doing books so um i did them because when you're a young artist and you need the work eloise had not become a real i didn't know that it was going to go on for a long time and that i'd be making real money you don't really make money on doing children's books you get a decent free Thing. And then it, you almost never make another penny on it. So you've devoted a year of your time to a book that you've gotten a few hundred dollars for. You know, yeah. the chance yeah. of something being really successful is very rare. The thousands of, when I was doing books, every publisher had a list that was extraordinary that they published each year or each yeah. season. Yeah. You know, the, most of the books never went beyond one year, you know? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. that, was, that was too bad. Uh, I, I, don't, I didn't approve of that. I don't really know if it's changed, but I don't think so. Yeah. They, they're able to put out a bunch of things. They don't have a chance, you know? They're not that many good things. Yeah. But when, when they're good, when, they, when they, the public gloms onto something, you're in, you know? 
there are a lot of books out there that I that fall into that uh, category that I think are appalling. You know, have no merit at all. Uh, but they appeal to the public, and they're immensely popular. You know, the authors. Are, um, Where's Wallace is a very good example of a book I did that 10 years later, a man in England did a book called Where's Waldo that is literally copied from my book. They changed the little chimp, the orangutan, baby orangutan into a human being. And they're wildly popular to this day, you know. Everybody knows about Where's Waldo, and they don't. They've forgotten about Where's Wallace, which is a very, very sweet, simple little story. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And pretty much available. You know, most of my stuff is, is gone out of print, which is not untypical at all. I mean, it's, it's just the, what the business is. Unless you've got some phenomenon like Eloise. Yeah. It's the only thing that I ever did that has kept going. The other books are all either, you know, okay, you can get them. You can buy almost anything on, you know, eBay or uh, Amazon. Yeah. I buy my own books that have gone out of print, you know, for very little money. Yeah. So, thank God for that. Thank God for Amazon. I wouldn't be, uh, you know, half my life is ordering, especially right now. Yeah. The easiest thing in the world to do. And it's like Christmas every night. So there's another little package there waiting for me. Yeah. So, um... So I want to ask you about your collaboration with another great author, which was Ogden Nash. Oh, yeah. That was, you know, to me, I was, um, I was, I knew all about him. and I was a tremendous fan and I never met him. Uh, It was true of almost all the books I worked on, but I really regretted not getting to know him. I I got, um, when I did the I Hate to Cook book, I got to know that woman very well, and we corresponded. Um, uh, Sunday morning, uh, I got to know her. She was a big fan of Where's Wallace, and when it was reprinted, uh, she wrote a special introduction to it because she was such a fan of it. Um, yeah, yeah. But you very rarely work with people when it's a a totally separate thing. So the fact that Kay and I not only worked together, we worked, we went to each country, Russia and Paris, went to Paris twice, Uh uh, Russia, you know, and then going to Rome, work on the bath book. Uh, it was a, a very unusual, uh, not not completely successful, uh, but it wouldn't have gotten done otherwise. You know? Yeah. So I do want to actually go back to Eloise for just a second to ask you what sort of was the original intention for what it would be? Because I know you were saying it wasn't to be a kid's book. Oh, no. I, you never know. You know. I don't think anybody ever knows something is going to be what it, what it turns out to be. Yeah. Uh, we had no idea. It was a unique book because there was nothing that looked like it. I but want... children loved it. You know? Oh, yeah. Children loved it. And there's a, there's, it's incredible to me how many, mostly women, respond so powerfully to it. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, I want to ask you about, um, you designed a costume, I believe, for Elaine Scritch. So, I want to ask you about her and what it was like to be working with her. With Elaine? I can barely work with her. 
really. Oh, that- yeah. Well, I, it, it had nothing. Nobody knew who Elaine Stritch was mm-hmm. um, at, at that point. She was just a minor actress in this review. And I was working for a wonderful woman named Mamie's, uh Judah Z. And her sister was the companion to Irene Sheriff. Mamie was Julia's sister, an older woman, uh, and they were both very elegant Chinese women whose father had been an ambassador um, uh, to in, in America, a Chinese ambassador and uh, very influential, and Judy wanted to be a costume designer, and she um, had no talent as an artist, but she was not a great designer in any way, and she had this hovering thing with her sister, being with Irene Sheriff, who was one of the greatest theater designers ever, you know. it's real inspiration to me. Um, Julia couldn't draw, and she had this assignment to do this review that I had a, a, a tropical number uh, with an absurd, a sort of joke sound with a kind of parody of an African costume. Um, Elaine being blonde, we, I did this not very inspired costume, but because Judy didn't know how to, she said, I'm going to let you design this because I have no idea what to do. So I got to do it. And um, um, I met Elaine a couple of times and I I was on a radio show with Elaine Francis who had a terrific little talk show. And Elaine was there, much more famous at this point. And um, I said, you remember, that was my costume that I designed for you. And she said, oh, yes. She said, I had it made into a lamp. Oh. (laughs) So that was how I knew Elaine. But I I was not really ever a friend of hers. Yeah. So I want to ask you about something, which is you have sort of a style as an artist, which is very distinctive. Like people could say that that was a Hillary Knight drawing. So how do you think that you've sort of developed that style? Or what do you think is? My style? Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Well, I think it comes directly from my mother, from her, uh, from her, um, training in Japan, her interest in flowers and and, um, uh, decorative. It was, what she did was decorative art. Uh, She did enormous paintings, which I watched. Um, I learned the whole, um, the kind of line and, and, and the exoticism of what she did. She loved painting birds, but they were not ordinary birds. They wore earrings, and they had flowers around their necks and ribbons. And I thought that was, you know, I I liked the idea. I knew birds did not wear earrings, but I accepted it. I thought, why why shouldn't they, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, I want to ask you another general question, which is, do you prefer designing on sort of a larger or a smaller scale? I, I prefer smaller scale. I've done a lot of um, murals and things. I did a, a mural in Tommy Hilfiger's uh, Plaza apartment. It was in one of the turrets. It was a half. It was a round room, um, and I was up on a scaffold. That was about um, eight years ago, and um, it was a lot of work. I I loved doing it. Uh, it was uh, about his own family, uh, it, but because it was in the plaza, 
And I had long ago decided doing Eloise Hicks about that we had to pinpoint Eloise's room. And I worked it out so that it was right under, uh, it was, uh, it was, a, it's a specific floor, which when I did the mural, it turned out to be the apartment below what Tommy Hilfiger had bought. Uh-huh. So, Eloise essentially was a neighbor, and into the mural, um, there were various little tiny things indicating that Eloise was right downstairs. You know, uh, yeah. she was peeping through a little heat. <laughs> that uh, that apartment was just sold, so someone now owns this mural, which was not Eloise. At uh, it was not an Eloise mural at all. It was about Tommy Hilfiger's own children, uh, yeah. and and a fantasy picture of on the walls of what you know what was outside. Yeah, and I want to ask about the Eloise painting that I know you did for the lobby of the plaza. Yeah, it it was. Um, uh, there were two of them. I did one for Kay, which was stolen uh, and then retrieved, and it's what what now uh, the George Lucas Museum owns. They bought it from my sale, uh, but that's a very different painting than what's there now, and it's been it's part of the plazas. They own it actually at this point. Uh, it's always been there. It was featured on The Sopranos many, many times uh, uh, photographed and because one of the Soprano children like to go and have tea at the plaza. Um, It's still there. You know, I'm very proud of that. It's an oil painting. It's entirely different. Uh, The the thing I did for Kay... uh, it was a painting I did for uh, an appearance on television, and uh, it was meant to be a parody of a of a Gainsborough painting, like Pinky and the Blue Boy, uh-huh. but it was Eloise. So it's done in a very kind of Victorian style. It doesn't the colors and things are not, um, but that that's what Lucas has, you know. So yeah. it lives on in California now. Yeah. So I want to ask you about some sort of books you've done that have been like your sort of take on classic fairy tales, like Cinderella or something like that. So how did those sort of develop and what is it like? They're, they're, because my mother had all these incredible books illustrated by Edmund Dulac, who was a famous, famous, uh, British, French, French background uh, illustrator, beautiful, beautiful illustrations. And I did Beauty and the Beast, uh, very definitely inspired by Dulac's Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I'm very, I would, you know, it's a great source. There are two books that have never been done, that never got beyond the pencil thing, that someday, you know, they'll be, they'll never be done because it's too, too much work uh, for me. Um, but they're in pencil form, very elaborate black and white pencil drawings. One is uh, a retelling of the white cat, which is a famous a fairy tale. Many illustrations exist, illustrated versions of the white cat. Mine was a very different setting and uh, um, mid-eastern, very exotic setting. Yeah. And um, also a version of um, Diamonds and Toads, uh, which is another fairy tale fantasy and that was all set in the Caribbean with black characters uh, I'm really sorry that never got done but there are loads of you know pencil illustrations yeah 
given you. I am working. The more was well, something I've got to tell you. I'm working on a book, a very important to me, of my own life, uh, oh. which is called Drawn from Life. And I, when I first thought of that title, I thought I'd better look it up, see if anybody's ever used that title. And sure enough, Ernest Shepard did not one but two books with that exact title about his early life, where he did illustrations along with very heavy text about his background. Mine is entirely different. There are illustrations about my childhood up to today oh. um, and things I've done. It's uh, strictly drawing. It is very little. It'll have drawings and photographs and objects, but very little text. It's unusual oh. in that department, but it will be called Hillary Knight Drawn from Life. So oh, that's... you can expect that in the future. Not done yet, but oh. very thoroughly thought out. Thank you uh, so much for doing this. It's been an honor to talk to you. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And remember to come back next time when we are joined by Encore Magazine's Robert Viagas. In addition to talking about the new magazine for all parts of the theater, we will discuss the many other aspects of his legendary career, including writing books such as On the Line, The Story of the Fantastics, The Alchemy of Theater, I'm the Greatest Star, and more. Robert Viagas is also the founder of Playbill On online, Playbill Radio, and Playbill Books. He is a longtime Tony Awards nominator and put together the Tony Awards Playbill, and he writes the At This Theater column. I hope you'll enjoy that interview, and thanks again for listening.